Welcome to A Long Time in Finance, the podcast that takes a sharp and sometimes acerbic look at the often absurd world of money through the eyes of two journalists who've, well, spent quite a long time in finance. That's me, Jonathan Ford, and him, Neil Collins. Welcome to A Long Time in Finance. It's our new podcast about, well, finance, money and business. Every week we'll unpick some of the big business stories, translating them into English and explaining why they should matter to you. We'll talk about things like private equity, the trend for green investment and nuclear power. And sometimes we'll even talk about some of Neil's pet hates. Shell's feeble dividends, for example. We certainly will. The thing about us is that we've spent a long time in finance. Indeed, Neil sold that he got his first job as a blue button on the London Stock Exchange when it still had a trading floor. More recently, he ran the Daily Telegraph City pages for almost 20 years, where his sunny disposition earned him the nickname Grumpy. Jonathan hasn't been around for quite as long, but he's been a banker, a journalist at the Financial Times twice, and an entrepreneur setting up a financial website in the dot-com boom. So we've got different roles. I'm more of the facts guy. Neil's a bit of a low-fact commentator. Oh, and he does the jokes. So, introductions over. What are we going to talk about in this first episode? Well, COP26. Uh, so I'm feeling a bit Kermit-like. Is that as in Kermit as in... I fear Kermit <laughs> the Frog. Kermit who, the Frog as in uh, it's not easy being green. It's not easy being green, yeah. Uh, and I thought we might talk about green stuff and the whole ESG fandango. So Lot- tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, lots of... Governments and companies are lining up to persuade you of their green intentions. There's a whole industry of fund managers and advisors trying to flog you sustainable funds on the argument that your pension scheme will do better if it's invested in them. OK, so let's have some facts here. So this is a pretty fast-growing movement. What, what do we call it? ESG, environmental, social, governance... Some people call it responsible, green, sustainable investing. Anyway, add it all up and it now totals about more than three trillion in assets around the world. And in the UK, the Investment Association, which is a sort of trade body for fund managers, said sales of what they call responsible funds in the UK rose by 66% last year. Now, I suppose the way of thinking about that is the implication here is that you really can do well by doing good. Or is it just the fund managers are doing well? (laughs) Well, I don't think there's much doubt about that. They're raking it in for their ESG funds. But environmental, social, government, governance sounds good, but nobody really knows what it actually means. Yeah, I think that's 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 an interesting point. I think, I mean, okay, see, I've got a couple of examples of things which actually fall into the category of, of ESG which might actually surprise you. Oh, good. Tell me. So the first is is a company in America. Weirdly, it's an oil company called Clearly Petroleum. 
and they have a plant, a sort of on on a river in Texas or in New Mexico, I think it is in Texas, I think, where called the Brazos River, and they managed to raise green finance to invest in kind of walls, banks, dikes, whatever you might call them, levees to protect their oil pumps from flooding. And, and the what? reason they needed to do it was because climate change, they argued, was meaning that the Brazos River was flooding more frequently and, and, and basically submerging their oil pumps. So that's a pretty interesting kind of idea, if you like. This is, uh, I mean, it, 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 it obviously makes sense if you want to pump more oil, but it's not clear that... <laughs> It protecting really, oil pumps is exactly going to do the planet much it really the is a run. bit of a stretch isn't it anyway, it's an so, oil company but I like that one but then yeah. the other one which I also liked was a story about Mexico City which was going to airport so the Mexican government wanted to build a new airport and they argued that they were going to use all sorts of energy saving kind of equipment in the terminal building so it would be a low impact airport building and they raised six billion dollars worth of bonds to do this now, once again, you might argue that for all the low wattage lights in the terminal, the fact is it's sitting in the middle of a huge concrete space covered in aeroplanes, which are flying around the world, basically uh, emitting a lot of carbon. But anyway, the bond market swallowed it and gave them the cash. And then a couple of years later, the Mexican government announced they'd had a second thoughts and they decided not to build the airport after all. So effectively, what investors ended up doing, as far as I can make out, was that they basically lent money to the Mexican government for a rather low interest rate, which maybe that's a good deal, but maybe not. Yeah, well, I can see there's lots of work for the lawyers there. Mm. Um, but you think, you basically think, though, I mean, so, so part of the deal here is why do, why do companies want to sell and governments want to sell these bonds? It's because they get a concessionary, they think they're going to get a good deal for themselves. They're going to have to pay less interest on their bonds or they can sell their shares at a higher value. Um, so absolutely, one can see why they're, they're into it. But, uh, but from the investor side, I mean, you're less convinced, aren't you? You're, you think it's a bit of a fashion. I think it's a fashion. And like all fashions, it's very fashionable and then it's not. Mm. Um, and even the UK government has fallen for this with its um, green gilts where investors have been persuaded to take a lower interest rate in return for promises that the money will be spent on green projects. Mm. Um, it's the same sort of category, really, as your Mexican airport, mm. um, because, of course, they can always find something that they can stick the green label on, uh, and they've saved a bit of money in the meantime uh, because... Uh, it's cheaper than normal borrowing. Um, but as far as the shares are concerned, um, there is no evidence that you will get a superior return by concentrating on so-called green businesses. Uh, and uh, even one of the uh, cheerleaders for this, uh, for the renewable power industry, Orsted, has fallen by a third, shares in Austin have fallen by a third since the start of 2021. But but to be fair, I mean, what's what's really happened there is that they, they went up a lot before, didn't they? So when, I mean, 
logically, when the, the whole ESG movement started, if you were on the right list, you were a green investment deemed by deemed attractive by the people who were running these funds. You had a lot of people wanting to buy your shares, and that's presumably what happened to Orsted and uh, and what drove the share price up in the first place. And now well, it's fallen back from that high level. Is that well, a fair description? Well, up to a point. I mean, if you can identify a fashion that's going to uh, attract a lot of money, mm. then obviously you can do extremely well mm. if you anticipate that. Mm. But that's not something that's confined to green investments. No. That's something which is a, a, a function of marketplace, yeah. that uh, if you can see what's going to happen, uh, albeit imperfectly, you will get superior returns. Yeah. But if you wait until everybody else has uh, identified it and uh, the green funds are looking for uh, places to go, then the smarter investors will provide them by selling them the stock. And that has what has happened here. And there are plenty of other examples. Yeah. So so I suppose the way I think about it is there's a bit of a, a, a sort of fallacy at work here. And the idea is, I, I suppose the idea behind ESG in its sort of, uh, is that if you starve, you, so there are evil companies in the world which do things like make cigarettes and oil, which, which are activities which we don't want to encourage. So the idea is that if you starve these these uh, these enterprises of capital and chan channel it instead to nice people who are doing things you know that you would might want to encourage like I don't know making electric vehicles powered by unicorn tears um, then, <laughs> yes. then, then 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 an ESG fund helps you bring this better world about but but actually in in reality when you sell your oil or cigarette shares or whatever it is it's not as if the oil company or the cigarette company ceases to exist, or indeed that they have any less capital to invest in their business. What you've really done is you've you've basically created a bunch of cheap shares, which are then bought by somebody who's a little less nice and socially concerned than you are. And mathematically, you know, they're going to do okay and probably a bit better than your uni unicorn tier investment. I think that's absolutely right. Um... And this is why the activists are trying to put the squeeze on these uh, businesses they don't like the look of by discouraging the banks from lending to them. But the world is full of banks and there's always going to be somebody else to do so. And there's no evidence that the investors in the bond markets are remotely bothered by any ESG concerns. I mean, the other thing about this is, is you know, people talk a lot about greenwashing, um, but it's really all about, ESG is really all about definitions. It's about what you call green. There's no, you know, absolute definition of what's green or yeah. good or bad in this case. And there, ne and there never will be, because well, it is so, uh, it's so difficult to pin well, down. No, I, well, okay, so my point is a slightly different one. I think there, there are attempts to do it. And, and a good example of where somebody is trying to do this is uh, the European Union has tried to create what it calls a taxonomy, which is a list of what's green and, by extension, what's not. And they've run into a huge political battle over how they classify certain energy investments. So uh, France, for example which has a very large nuclear industry, wants nuclear energy to be put on the green list. 
um, Germany, which is very, very opposed to nuclear energy, has just indeed shut down all its nuclear power plants, or is about to, um, wants to put gas on the list. Isn't gas a well, fossil fuel? Uh, last time I looked it was. But, um, but I suppose <laughs> the way they cover their blushes, the Germans on this, is they say, well, of course, it's, it's not absolute kind of uh, green light, as it were, for gas. Oh, it's, it's, less... it's a transitional fuel. <laughs> but we, we're going to need it for a bit. Yeah. Um, and so, but but of course, the EU have got so gummed up with this because it's a, effectively a political horse trade that what's likely to happen is that both of them will end up on the list, mainly because if the French don't get nuclear, they'll veto the whole thing. And if the Germans don't get gas, they'll veto the whole thing. And if the Hungarians don't get coal, presumably they'll veto the whole thing as well. I don't know, I'm last them. Oh, right. Okay, but yes, quite possibly. But But I suppose my fundamental point is this these sort of attempts to pull together politically directed lists of green investments are prone to all sorts of political gaming horse trading which means ultimately that what you're buying into may not really be green at all just maybe mm. what the eu feels it has to subscribe to to get a to get a list out at all the activists various uh, groups of activists have their own idea of what green is and i yeah. think that what they view as green today may not be viewed as green tomorrow uh, and i think that one of the big have you got an example of that you you could share with us um have i got an example for that uh not at the moment okay. oh i tell you what yes here's one yeah. um drax Okay. The uh, oh, Drax. The uh, provider the Bond of, villain. Of <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's quite. never been very green. <laughs> it, it might as well be. Um, Drax use has an enormous. Can we just past. say what Drax? Drax. Drax is a. What I was used going to, be a very, to okay. Okay. I was I'm going sorry. to I, tell I, you okay. before I was so rudely interrupted. I felt I felt an opinion coming on. So yes, it'll <laughs> before come. Before you'd explained it. Drax sits on uh, the UK biggest coal field and was built to exploit it yeah. uh, but they've realized that coal may be may not be the fuel of the future so casting around desperately to know what to do they have now decided that the best thing is to import these things called wood pellets which are from forests cut down in North America and uh, burnt in the same furnaces and mm. used to burn coal yeah. and they claim this is wonderfully green because of course wood is a renewable fuel yeah. up to a point um, but there is increasing pressure on them not to be classified as green because if you look at the whole uh, cycle that they go through it's probably going to take a hundred years before you uh, replace what you've burnt today. Uh, and it's uh, it's quite they're quite awkward stuff to deal with too, wood pellets. So um, they claim that they're green, but I suspect over t over time, people will be more and more reluctant to allow them to call themselves that. Uh, and um, the so you think they'll lose their green badge at some point? I think they will. Yeah, I think they will. So I tell you a, a fact, an interesting fact about Drax, which is is they still burn some coal there and alongside the wood pellets. And last year, 
the emissions that came from the wood pellets were actually higher than the coal. Oh no, the year before. So 2019-20, they basically emitted more carbon from their wood pellets. Was that per, per kilowatt, kilowatt hour? hour? Yeah, so really? per unit of electricity. Yeah. So they're doomed, I would say. They're not going to be classified as green uh, at the moment. They're just a wonderful subsidy harvesting machine. Uh, and uh, I suspect that they will not be uh, in the on the green list in a year or two. Um, the... Other point I think mm. is well worth making mm. is the position of the courts here, mm. um, because it's not only the poor old EU that's struggling to find a decent definition. If you look at the uh, environmental legislation, it is very hard to see a hard and fast definition, and there's plenty of wriggle room for the activists to take these so-called polluters to the courts and uh, as we've seen in the case of Shell which I'll tell you about in a moment um, the courts uh, are basically as, uh, as uh, obsessed with following the public opinion as anybody else. Now Shell uh, has been sued in, in The Hague um, for uh, not having a good enough plan to become green uh, by 2050. So although they've, uh, they've breached no laws, they've been told that they've got to behave differently by this lower court in The Hague. And it, I, if I was them, that would have been quite enough for me to think that we've got to get out of here. And I'm glad to say that they have done so, even if they're not claiming that as a reason. So basically, in summary, um, I think what you're saying is um, if you're going to stick these sort of uh, investments in your pension, you may find that while you get a warm glow from doing the right thing for the planet, which is a nice thing, you shouldn't really expect um, to do particularly well out of it or certainly no. better or and indeed we you know one of the problems is you may not even get your your green glow might be misplaced in the sense that yeah things turn out to be a little bit less green actually than you thought they did well or, or the, the outcome may not be quite as good i would say that it's not green enough for the people who are causing the trouble um and uh, the, the, the 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 pressure on companies to behave more and more greenly, um, even if it is uh, just another uh, manifesto of a passing fad, uh, will only increase. Yeah, I think if I've got to come back to the wise words of Kermit all those years ago when he sang so movingly, it really ain't easy being it's green. It's not easy being green. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That was A Long Time in Finance with Neil Collins and Jonathan Ford. The words were by us and the podcast was edited by Teddy Phillips. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to the series on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week on Friday morning with another edition. See you then. <laughs>